This Parsha podcast is dedicated in the merit of the speedy and total recovery of Baruch Ben Shoshana. Before we begin, I got an email today from a listener from a different country, and he was struggling with our website, torchweb.org, the website of our organization, Torch. He was trying to make a donation, but for some reason it wasn't going through. So, first of all, I'd like to thank him for his generous support of our organization. Of course, all of y'all who want to support the Torch family and the Parsha podcast family. And if anyone else is having that problem, we also have a PayPal account, and you can make a donation via PayPal, and the email address for that is torchweb at gmail.com. So the website is torchweb.org, and the PayPal account, the email that you would send it to is torchweb at gmail.com. Dot com. Of course, if anyone's having any trouble, you could always email me. My email address is rabbiwolby at gmail.com. And I want to remind the audience that our organization is still giving away tens, dozens, hundreds, thousands of mitzvah magnets, of Shabbat light switch covers. Go to our website, torchrub.org, and we will send it to you for free. And there is a link in the description of this and every podcast episode. This week is Parshas Shoftim, and it tells us about judges. And right away, the first few verses of our Parsha tell us how a judge has to behave. You shall not pervert judgment. You should not accept a bribe, because a bribe will blind the eyes of the wise and make just words crooked. So there's this idea that we are not allowed to accept bribes as judges, and if we do, it's going to blind the eyes of the righteous. And Rashi tells us that once someone accepts the bribe, it's impossible for them to see the guilt of the party from whom they received the bribe. Now, there's a very interesting Talmud about bribes in general. And it starts off by telling us that if someone gives a bribe, it's guaranteed to work. If someone goes to a doctor, for example, says the Talmud, you could give him money and maybe he'll cure your illness or maybe not. You could have a hard time seeing. You go to the optometrist, you go to the ophthalmologist, you go to the eye doctor, and maybe it will help, maybe it won't help. However, bribery, says the Talmud, it always works not to make someone see better, but to make someone blind. And then the Talmud launches into very detailed teachings and stories about the scourge and the perversion of justice caused by bribery. And it begins by telling us that even non-monetary bribes ingratiate the person and therefore would disqualify a judge. So it gives us a few stories. It tells us one of the great sages of the Talmud, his name was Shmuel, he was crossing a river on a small ferry And someone came to him and said, hey, let me help you. And he extended his hand to help him cross onto the boat. And then they struck up a conversation. And the great sage tells him, what are you doing here? What are you doing in these parts? He says, well, actually, I was coming to your court because I have a case that needs to be adjudicated in front of you. So the great sage tells him, I'm sorry, I'm disqualified. You extended your hand to help me go to the boat. That's already enough of a bribe to disqualify me, to be an impartial judge in your case. 
And it gives more stories. There was once a great sage that a feather fell on top of him and someone just cleared the feather off of him. says, oh, judge me, too late, I'm disqualified. Another great sage, someone came and cleared the way in front of them, made it a little bit easier for them to walk, a little more pleasant for them to walk. Sorry, I am disqualified to judge you. And the Talmud gives us even more stories. It tells us that even if an individual intends to do something good for the judge, but doesn't ultimately do it, that alone, just the intention of doing something good, creates enough of a kinship to disqualify the recipient of that intended good, even if they didn't actually get anything tangible. That tells us a story of the last Kohen Gadol, the last high priest of the Jewish people before the temple was destroyed. He was a sage by the name of Rabbi Yishmael Bar Alisha. And there was once an individual who came to the great rabbi, slash Kohen, and gave him one of the gifts that the Kohen receives. And he says to him, well, where do you come from? He says, well, I came from this in this town. And he says to him, wait a minute. Why don't you give to a Kohen who's more local? Why do you make this whole trip? to give a gift that goes to the Kohen to come all the way to Jerusalem, you could do it in your hometown. I'm sure there's a Kohen there. So the individual responds, well, I have a court case and you are part of the Sanhedrin. I thought maybe you would judge me. I figured I'd kill two birds with one stone. He says to him, I'm sorry. I am disqualified to judge you. And not only that, I'm not going to even accept this gift. You have to find a different Kohen to give it to. So again, we see the amazing idea that bribery is so powerful, the way it manipulates and changes a person, a judge, it could be a very righteous judge, a very wise judge, but once they are the recipients of some bribery, that corrupts them and they cannot judge. And it's against Torah law for them to judge because they have been bribed, even if they were only bribed with the positive intention of someone wanting to give them something that they deserve as a Kohen. And the Talmud continues that story. It tells us that this great sage, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, he passed this court case to a different court, to a different great sage. And he was listening in on the proceedings. And he felt himself welling up with arguments to support this individual that wanted to give him a gift. He's like, say this. Oh, don't say that. In his head, he's lawyering on behalf of the individual who had wanted to give him a gift as a coin. And then he realized how corruptive bribery is, even though I didn't receive anything from this individual and they were only given it to me in my capacity as a coin, which I deserve anyhow. Of course, they could choose to which coin they want to give, but it's not a gift that is outside of the responsibilities of the giver. Nevertheless, it totally corrupted his judgment, apparently, by his own admission. And he was trying to advocate in his head on behalf of this individual who needed a judicial case overseen. And Talmud ends with a wild story about one of the sages who used to have visitations from Elijah, regular visitations 
from Elijah the prophet. And as a result of him being influenced in a way that's similar to bribery, in a way that led to corruption of justice, he lost his Elijah visitations. It tells a story of a rabbi named Rav Anan, and someone came and tried to bribe him in a court case. And he says to him, I'm sorry, you tried to bribe me, I'm not accepting your gift, and I'm also disqualified from presiding over your case. So the person tells the great rabbi, he says to him, okay, well, don't preside over my case, but at least accept the gift that I want to give you. You're a great sage. I want to give a gift to the great sage. So the rabbi relents, and he accepts the gift, and then he sends this individual with a letter to another great rabbi, Rav Nachman, and says to him, listen, I cannot judge this individual. Why don't you take his court case? So the second rabbi has this individual show up to him, bearing a letter from Ravanan saying, I cannot judge him, you judge him. And in his head, he's like, hey, why does the first rabbi, why is he disqualified to judge him? It must be that they're relatives. And if they're relatives, then this is a relative of a great rabbi. I have to make sure that I help the relative because when I help the relative, it's like I'm helping the great rabbi himself. So he misunderstood the second rabbi. He misunderstood the reason why the first rabbi was disqualified from seeing this particular case. And the Talmud continues that he accorded honor to this individual. The second rabbi, Rav Nachman, accorded honor to the individual who had brought a gift to the first rabbi and then got a letter that was addressed to the second rabbi. And then when the other litigant saw how the judge is favoring his opponent, he got all uncomfortable and he wasn't able to speak and he got nervous and he wasn't able to make a good claim. And ultimately, justice was perverted, even though it was indirect and it was unwitting. And Talmud tells that as a result of this, Ravanan, the first rabbi, because he caused this indirect miscarriage of judgment, Elijah stopped appearing to him. And the Talmud says how eventually he came back. That's the relevant part of the story for us. So the bottom line from this Talmud is that bribery really works. Today, of course, we have legalized bribery in the form of lobbying. Lobbying, of course, is bribery. You do something good for someone and they feel compelled to do something in return, to reciprocate for you. And here we have in our parsha a teaching, a law, that this could be such a corrupting influence of judgment and therefore a judge has to be super careful to never accept any bribery from someone that they need to judge. Now the Talmud continues with something very fascinating. It gets into the psychology of how bribery works. And it tells us that once someone receives a gift, and like we said, it could be even something intangible, like the intention of doing something good or helping him in some way. Once you receive a gift from someone, you develop emotional closeness and you begin to see the other person as if he was yourself. 
And just like a person cannot see his own faults, we're blinded, so to speak, to our own faults, when someone else bribes us, we become, we view that person as if they're an extension of ourselves. And just as we can't see the faults and the flaws and the guilt in ourselves, because we were bribed, we cannot see the flaws, the faults, and the guilt of the person who bribed us. The Talmud goes on to say something very interesting. The Hebrew word for bribery is shochad. Says the Talmud, what is the roots of this word shochad? Shehu chad. Which Rashi explains, the word chad means one, like echad, one. It unifies the people. You have the briber and you have the bribee and they're different people. But with the bribe, they become unified. They become echad, one, and now they're one entity. And just as a person cannot see his own guilt, a person cannot see the guilt of the person who bribed them. And only a neutral party can be impartial. And of course, to do righteous justice, you need to be impartial. Now, this concept is well known today in social psychology spheres. It's called the law of reciprocity. When someone does something good for you, you feel compelled to reciprocate and do something good to them. In the Volazhin Yeshiva in Russia, the Yeshiva had a problem because they only had a permit to run a relatively small institution, but they had many more students than they were allotted in their permit. So every year when they would provide the list of students to the official, to the governor, they would also give him a bribe. Now, one year, the Nitziv, who was the Rosh Hashiva of this yeshiva, he was very worried. And his co-Rosh Hashiva, who happened to be his grandson-in-law, Rabbi Chaim Salavechik, he says to him, what's the matter? So the Nitziv tells him, he says, well, there's a new governor. And everyone knows that this governor, he really is a straight shooter. He refuses to accept any bribes. And what are we going to do? How are we going to give him the list of our students? And the list contains many more students than we're allowed to have. If we can't bribe him, what are we going to do? So Rabbi Chaim Salavich says, I'll take care of it. So he went to visit this governor. He traveled to Vilna where the seat of the government was in that particular province. And it was the middle of the summer. And the great rabbi shows up with a fur coat and a hat and boots. And he walks in the middle of July and everyone starts laughing at him. And they say to him, what are you doing? It's so hot outside. Why are you dressed as if it was the middle of the winter? So the Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Chaim Salvechit, tells him, he says, actually, I had a dream last night, and my grandfather appeared to me in my dream. And he told me that there's going to be a snowstorm tomorrow. And he wouldn't lie to me in my dream. And therefore, I was worried when I have to travel back to Valajan, I'm going to need the heavy winter clothing because there's going to be a snowstorm. So this governor says, you're crazy. Do you believe the silly dreams? So Rabbi Salvation tells him, okay, let's make a bet. We're going to have a 25-ruble wager 
on the forecast. Tomorrow, if it's not snowing, I'm going to pay you 25 rubles. Indeed, of course, the next day, there was no snow. So Rabbi Chaim gives him his 25 rubles, and then he gives him the document. And of course, he takes the document, and he's already taking the bribe, and everything went smoothly afterwards. Bribery can be rendered even surreptitiously. And like the Talmud says, you do a favor for someone, you offer to do something good for someone. Any conveyance of goodness towards another person already influences, shall we say, persuades or manipulates that person to look back at you favorably. On a slightly smaller scale, as most of the Parsha podcast audience knows, my family and I spent the recent summer in Canada, in Innisfil, Ontario. And the problem, the biggest problem with spending the summer in Canada is that it's a very green, environmentally friendly country. And that's wonderful. But the problem is they only pick up the garbage every other week. So every other Thursday, they come to the garbage. Okay, and that's not the end of the world. The problem is they only accept two garbage bags. That's it. And if you want more than two garbage bags, then you need to get a tag from the city. You got to pay for these tags. You got to put the tags on the additional garbage bags and then they'll accept it. Otherwise, they won't accept it. The problem is we came in and there was like 15 people in in the little cottage there and there's a lot of garbage. And to make matters really tricky, right when we got into Canada, we were in quarantine. So we couldn't even go to the store to buy those tags. So Thursday was upcoming. And we had, I think, eight or something like that or or ten bags of garbage. And they're very strict about these environmental rules. They accept only two bags and no more. And if you have three bags and there's no tags in the bags, that's it. You are out of luck. You're going to be stuck with these garbage bags, smelly, stinking garbage bags for another two weeks. So I told my kids, I says, don't worry about this. I got this. I'm going to bribe him. So I waited for the garbage man to show up. And eventually he came and I walked over to him. I say, hey, how you doing? Here's a cold drink. I give him a nice cold drink. And I say to him, listen, you know, I was in quarantine. He's like, he looks at the badge. He's like, well, these badges look kind of small. I think every two or three badges really counted as one bag. So he's like convincing himself to go against the rules to accommodate me. And it's all because I bribed him. And that's based upon this idea. Bribery works. And it works every time. And a person is just wired to change their perception of a person who does something good for them. It could be even minor. It could be small. It could be non-material, non-monetary. But they are now predisposed They are primed to treat you with kindness, with benevolence. And as a result of that, if you want to be a judge and you have to be neutral and you have to be impartial and you are bribed, that's it. There's no more justice and there's corruption, there's perversion. And that's why it is so problematic. But it's got me thinking of a very interesting idea. What about when someone doesn't want to be neutral? or ought not be neutral. Again, we have this amazing idea. The word shochad, bribery, says 
the Talmud. What does it mean? What's the etymology? The roots of this word is that shehu chad, you become one. Rashi even tells us, the giver and the receiver of the bribe unite and forge a common singular heart. Isn't that what we should strive to do? Aren't we told in general to try to become like one person with our fellow man, with our fellow Jew? Aren't we told you should love your fellow Jew as yourself and you should try to identify with them as much as possible? So I think this idea, this concept, again, that is rooted in the Torah, the same God who created us tells us that bribery will take someone who is seeing and turn them blind. And how does it work? It creates this kinship and this unity between the giver of the bribe and the receiver of the bribe. I think that this idea can be used for the positive. We are told that we should try to befriend and become loving of our fellow man. We should love our fellows as ourselves. I'm not suggesting that we should try to use flattery or manipulation or exploitation, God forbid. But this is a powerful tool to build goodwill, to build relationships dare I say, to be courageous to take the first steps to mend and repair a fractured relationship, to initiate friendship and brotherhood and camaraderie. And the more I thought about this, I think we could say safely that this is a central pillar of personal transformation. The Talmud tells us, we've mentioned this in the past, that a person should do Torah and mitzvos. Even shalolishma, even not for its intended purpose, not for its intended motivation. Why? Because if you do something good with imperfect or even improper motivations, your motive is you want honor, you want money, you want something else, you want to kick back. If you do it for ulterior purposes, eventually you'll start doing it for altruistic purposes, for the correct purpose. There's a description in the Talmud, and this is found in many places in the Talmud, in Nazir uh, 23b, for example. But this is a description of change, of development. And it tells us that you start off, when you want to do a mitzvah, you want to get a kid to do a mitzvah, or even you yourself, you want to do a mitzvah, you want to do something good. You have to find a reason, a motivation to do it. And of course, the best motivation is because God said to do it and that's the right thing to do. But we're not all ready for such a level of altruism. And here we're told is that, that that's okay. That's normal. That is tolerable because you do something and you expect to get honor. You expect other people to think good of you. Maybe you'll get some sort of kickback. That is a good motivation to do a mitzvah because eventually it will lead you to doing a mitzvah for the right reasons. What this tells us is that when someone wants to do something good, you want to do a mitzvah, you want to study Torah, invariably you're going to face internal resistance. And of course we know. We have free will. There's the Yetzirah says, don't do a mitzvah, don't study Torah, don't do kindness. We have a body that's not stimulated by spiritual matters. So how do we convince the body 
to not resist? How do we overcome the Yetzirah telling us not to do a mitzvah? Here we are told in the Talmud that it needs to be bribed. The good kind of bribery. You tell your body and say, hey, we're going to do a mitzvah. And people will find out. And we'll get honor. And we'll get kudos. And we'll get distinction. Maybe if we study enough Torah, we'll be called a rabbi. And we'll have honor. People will think highly of us. And the Yetzirah and the body they say, huh, honor? Distinction? People thinking highly of me? That is something I could get behind. And thus we see like a kosher form of bribery, a sanctioned form of bribery, taking bribery, bribing yourself, self-bribery, and actually forcing yourself, so to speak, handcuffing the Eid Sahara, handcuffing the Eid Sahara and saying, okay, get on board because you want this as much as I do. And that's the way to eventually develop a taste for spiritual matters. We're throwing a bone, so to speak, to the Eitzahara, to the inclination, to the body that resists the soul's agenda, and we're bribing it to participate. My grandfather, blessed memory, used to say that if you look in Genesis, when Isaac wants to give a blessing, a prophetic blessing to Esau, to his eldest son, he tells him, go make me a steak. Make me delicious delicacies so I can enjoy it, and then I could bless you. And he explains, based upon this idea, if someone wants to achieve prophecy, the soul has to soar. But who drags you down? Who pulls you down? The body says, I don't want that. The Yetzirah says, I don't want that. And therefore, you have to appease the body. You have to throw a bone. You have to assuage the body and say, okay, we're going to have prophecy. Prophecy means stake. And thus, the body is bribed and it gets on board. There's an amazing teaching in the Talmud in the book of Bava Basra. It's around 8, 9, or 10, somewhere over there. It talks about someone who wants to give charity. And someone says, I'm going to give charity with the explicit intention that as a merit of me giving charity, my son who is ill is healed. So the Talmud says, this person who gives charity and explicitly says the charity is in order that they merit a certain kickback, this person is a complete tzaddik. They're completely righteous. Why? Because even if their son dies, they really wanted to give the charity. That's what the Talmud says. Now, there's a few obvious questions. Number one, I understand if you say, hey, someone gives charity, it's a good thing, irrespective of the motivations, it's a good thing. But why would you say that when someone gives charity with the anticipation of getting something in return, my son gets healed, why would you say that person is a complete tzaddik, which seems to imply that they are even a greater tzaddik, more righteous than someone who gives the charity with no strings attached? They do it altruistically. Question number one. Question number two, the Talmud explains that the reason why this person is so righteous, the reason for that is because even if their child, God forbid, dies, they wanted to give the charity anyhow. What's going on? 
So I once heard interpretation as follows. Our soul, our essence, wants to do mitzvos, wants to be generous and kind and study Torah, wants to do everything the Torah outlines. The Torah can be described as the wish list of the soul. Problem is, is that we're not just a soul. If we were a soul, Torah would not be a challenge at all. We have resistance. The body, the Yetzirah, maybe society. There's a lot of things that are preventing us or are hindering our ability to easily do mitzvahs. So this person wants to give charity. Why do they want to give charity? Because their soul wants to do a mitzvah. Their essence wants to do a mitzvah. However, there's resistance. The Yetzirah says no. It says, I'm going to give charity? I don't want to give charity. I'd rather spend the money on other things. So what does this person do? They come up with an ingenious solution to bribe the body, to bribe the Yetzirah. And says, okay, I'm going to link the charity with something that you want. And the Yetzirah, the body, the animalistic side of a person, says, I love my child so much. And therefore, I'll do anything that they get healed. I'll even throw the money, so to speak, in the garbage from the eyes of the body and the Yetzara, if that will help. So what this person is doing is coming up with creative solutions to give charity and recognition of the resistance that they face. And such a person who devises such ingenious solutions to the problems of the soul's agenda being opposed by the eight Sarah, such a person is well on the way to indeed become a complete tzaddik because they have taken inventory of who they are, of what they are, and have begun to devise strategies and tactics to be able to do Torah and mitzvos even in opposition to the Yetzirah. Bribe it, throw it a bone, get it on board, and clear the way towards doing the mitzvah that you really want to do. Another kind of kosher and, in fact, encouraged bribery. And finally, this is also a very valuable lesson for leaders, for educators, for pedagogues, for parents. You want to encourage your child to do good things. You want to encourage your child to do mitzvahs, to study Torah. The problem is the kid wants to do other things. Here we're told you could influence them. You could, dare I say, even though this is a provocative term, bribe them. Associate a good habit or a good deed with something that they already like. And of course, every time you encourage a child with a lollipop, you're doing just that. You're bribing them to do what you want them to do with something that they want already. You say, hey, study Torah and I give you the lollipop. Do the mitzvah and I give you the lollipop. Do your homework. Clean your room and I'll give you something good. That is bribery that we do with our children all the time. But this is not only the domain of parents. The Talmud tells us, that when one of the great sages would begin a lecture, a Torah lecture, he would begin the lecture with a joke. And maybe we could speculate that the reason for this is you go to study Torah, and now you start off with a joke, and everyone's laughing, everyone's having a good time, and you're associating it in your head, Torah is pleasant, Torah is 
fun. Torah is delightful. You may not remember what you learned, but you will remember that it made you feel good. And that association, if Torah, if mitzvahs are associated with happiness, with joy, with pleasure, with warmth, that is something that you want to continue. And that is something that you could build a very impressive spiritual edifice upon. You start it off with shalolishma, you start off with incorrect intentions, and eventually you'll get to where you need to go. You know, we have our children, when they are coming of age, so we have bar mitzvahs, and my family has the following policy. We don't pressure the children to do more than they want to do. So if my son doesn't want to read from the Parsha, doesn't read from the Torah, I'm not going to force him to do it. I want to make this experience as pleasurable as possible. I want to link only good feelings with Torah. And if the child gets the impression that this is something I gotta do. Oh no, it's so difficult. Oh no, I wanna, I wanna play sports, but my daddy's forcing me to do all this study and all this hard work. If Torah gets tainted with that bad feeling, then I'm not bribing them positively. It's the opposite. I'm associating Torah with something that in their eyes is negative and that can sadly linger with them as they mature and grow up. So I think this is a powerful lesson in our parsha. Humans are wired to respond to bribery. And even people who think that they're, that they're really intelligent. And you know what? The Torah even testifies. You could be a tzaddik, you could be righteous, you could be wise, you could be brilliant. But the same God who gave you that intellect testifies in the Torah that bribery blinds you. And when you receive the bribe, you become one with the briber. And of course, the judge has to be impartial. And therefore, even a sniff, even a scintilla of bribery disqualifies them. But there's a good kind of bribery, a useful bribery that we can and perhaps should use to advance our agenda. And again, we're not advocating for manipulation, for exploitation, but with our fellow man, we can use this to build great relationships, to become one with our brethren. We're told to love your fellow as yourself, become one with them, do things for them, and that will foster and forge a close relationship. Personal transformation. How does that happen? With bribery. You associate the Torah, the mitzvahs, the good deeds, the good habits, whatever it is, with something that you want already. You meaning your animalistic side, and you're getting your recalcitrant elements to support the good deed, the mitzvah, the Torah study, the good habit, and thus you could get some momentum towards the direction where you want to go. And finally, with your children, with your charges, bribe them. Bribe them, associate goodness with Torah, with mitzvahs, with things that you want them to have. And here we're told, this will change their perspective. It will make the way they see the world shift and they will be influenced positively as a result. I thank you all for listening. 
I hope everyone has a fantastic Shabbat upcoming. And I look forward to, please God, speaking to y'all next time. My email address is rabbiwalby at gmail.com.